welcome to the Sunday Bootleg. My name's Tom Slatter, and this podcast started life as um, a means by which I could share some bootleg recordings of my own gigs and tell some entirely true stories about what had been happening to me after those gigs. Um, but in recent weeks, I've been having much more fun interviewing other people. So that's what we've got this time round, and we're going to hear... Uh, Stefan and Dean from the band Gandalf's Fist um, had a chat with them about entirely true and sensible things um, like how Stefan lives in a virtual shed and Gandalf's Fist get their ideas by burning fish and listening to the sound it makes. Um, it, was, it was a odd conversation in parts. Um, and they were going to hear a couple of songs, um, live recruit recordings from them as well. So that's going to be fun. Uh, no silly story, I'm afraid, afterwards. I'm trying to keep this podcast to a sensible length. Um, more to the point, i am um, got so much going on um, uh, in my life in general that I haven't had time to uh, actually come up with a, um, um, a re- remember a story. So um, I know I owe you the story of what happened with Tarquin and the insect monsters so I'll try and get that um, finished next time and I guess I should probably tell you the other stuff that happened with Praying Mantis Dave. Uh, So yeah that'll come up uh, in a few weeks time. Um, What else can you check out of mine? Uh, Have a look at tomslatter.co.uk for my stuff in general and um, more importantly murderandparliament.com why would you look at that? Because that's my new instrumental um, act. That's why. Uh, Murderandparliament.com um, is a new act by myself um, and a couple of other people, but mostly me. Uh, it's an instrumental um, thing, nice and loud and rocky. If you go over to Murderandparliament.com and stick in your email address, you can get your hands on one of the first songs. Um, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's going to be out on December 1st on Bad Elephant Music, so I'll uh, probably make more noise about it as um, time goes on. But that's enough of me rambling. Let's get straight into the interview. Here's Dean and Stefan from Gandalf's Fist. The most important question on the internet uh, for people in our uh, musical sphere, James R. Turner asks, is it prog? Oh, is it though? You know, it could be. Is it always prog, or is it sometimes prog? Is it semi prog? I think semi prog. So you're semi prog. Cool. Semi prog, <laughs> half prog, um, somewhere on the prog kaleidoscope, the progoscope. We're progoscope. That's what we are. Progoscope. Okay, you're semi on the progoscope. I'll go with that. Um, and then my one, because I was just reading your bio. You know, new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. And you know the uh, the acronym, NWOBHM. Yeah. Do you do you put in your head pronounce that Nwobum? I, yes. I Whenever I see that written yes, down, I, I think just everybody does. Good, good. Everybody does. I think you are lying to yourself if you do not at least in your mind say Nwobum. I'm quite happy to Nwobum out loud. I'm a free Nwobumer. You're a Nwobumer. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, do you know Wobbum? Yes, always. I think we should start with um, 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 The Elephant in the Room, which is a couple of years ago now, um, as your um, uh, your wonderful uh, steampunky album was released. There was a headline 
that claimed you guys had the first steampunk prog rock album. Which oh, I we, which I assume is because is because of a press release that you wrote. Explain no, yourselves, gentlemen. Right. Yeah. No, we never. We would never pretend to be to do any such thing. Um, so that was that was obviously somebody who had even less knowledge of steampunk than we did. Wrote, obviously, wrote that headline because we definitely sort of only found ourselves in that realm by accident. So we accidentally teleported there briefly and sort of ended up with that tag. So yeah, nothing to do with us. Yeah, we were shocked when we read that headline. I was appalled. I dropped my lamb samsung straight onto the kitchen floor as soon as I read it. <laughs> Whose idea was it in the first place to say, let's do a triple album that's as much um, uh, radio drama as it is uh, music? And how on earth did whoever it was persuade the rest of the band that that was a sane thing to do? You know what the weirdest thing about it was is that I don't ever remember having that conversation, even in part. It's just sort of we woke up one day and it, we just sort of made it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually realise we were as we were going along. So was it a case of building up the material and realising, oh, this isn't one CD, maybe we're doing a double album? Oh, no, yeah. hang on. Absolutely. So basically, basically, most of our concepts will start with me and Luke being drunk and coming up with a mad story. And that's pretty much Luke's sole job in the band is to get drunk and come up with a good story idea <laughs> because he can't play any instruments. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he, he's made, that's his main job. And actually this like time in question was on the morning of my wedding and um, Luke was best man and he was sort of just sort of getting, we were getting ready and that and having a, you know, a modest selection of breakfast whiskies. And um, <laughs> we were just, we were just sort of, sort of good. Oh, well, this would be a cool idea, you know, and originally we weren't even thinking, you know, the sort of steampunk sort of thing. We just sort of had this idea of like, you know, continuing on our like sort of love for dystopia and post-apocalyptic sort of stuff as having like an underground sort of city sort of thing. And then, you know, we kept coming up with these ideas and we came up with the story and we just sort of figured it would be a bit like our previous album, Forest of Fear where, you know, we had some songs sort of stringing along a, a sort of loose story with some sort of maybe a few more, like, narrative bits in. We had tried to do that with Forest of Fear. We recorded this, like, we literally did go to the point of demoing this full song where there was, like, a weasel on a unicycle um, running <laughs> through the forest that sort of hit a peacock lady and all this kind of stuff. And it sort of exists there somewhere on, 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 on our, like, hard drive somewhere. So we wanted to try and do that narrative thing but properly and plan it out um, and it was when we started writing down the bits that to be in the story that we knew just would get lost in all of the sort of songs and stuff and people's interpretation that we actually ended up just ended up literally writing a full like script so it just sort of happened like naturally like here's the story here's what we need to do and it sort of just yeah it just materialized and w whenever i do anything i don't think other people can hear it, but I know where all of my stuff is ripped off from. It's like, I know this song, that's when I was ripping off David Bowie, This, which is most of them. That This one is where I'm ripping off the Manic Street Preachers. This one's got a load of Iron Maiden in it. Um, yeah, yeah. I can definitely hear the um, uh, the sort of the metal influences and the, uh, the folky prog influences, but to do that sort of massive concept, who are you ripping off? Ooh. Um... 
Yeah, we always sort of held up like War of the Worlds as like the sort of benchmark, but I wouldn't say we sort of, you know, it's there's not many sort of albums out there that are sort of the way we've sort of done it, because even with musicals like War of the Worlds, you've usually got like, you know, David Essex trying to act and then bursting into song, yeah. whereas we've sort of got this separate sort of um, like actors to the sort of vocalists. Um, but yeah, I mean, early on from like when me and Luke were sat in my like house in, in West Cumbria, we sort of always talked about like, cause we're going to model, cause we, we never had any ambition to play in live. So we always sort of looked at like Arion as sort of like, if we're going to be an albums band, that is sort of the sort of model we would take. So even though the albums don't really rip off like what Iron does or anything like, like that, um, I think the sort of, you know, our sort of business plan, if you can use the word business, which I probably never will do in the sort of context of Gandalf's fist ever again, but our business plan was sort of like... <laughs> You've just used it three times. <laughs> yeah. So that was like, yeah, so that was sort of inspiration of where we sort of, But now, you know, we have played live a few times, and so, you know, maybe that's gone completely out the window. Is the live thing going to be a, a bigger part of what you do? Yeah, maybe. I mean, what usually happens, happens is is that i open my door and if we find a stefan like hiding in the garage we go oh we've probably got a gig coming up so that's usually how it works but i think um yeah it's it's logistically difficult given how we sort of set up but it's it's quite nice to be able to like pick and choose you know that we have no like sort of desires we do get gig offers quite a lot and it's like you know we can look at it and sort of go no this is the sort of thing that we would want to avoid and that's quite nice to be selective yeah is that how you you got involved with the stefan then did it just sort of turn up at the bottom of the garden one day <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know who baited him into my shed but he was just sort of there one day in the sort of yeah well at least in a virtual shed he definitely exists in the virtual shed somewhere and he just sort of sort of materialized one day and he's sort of been there ever since what do you feed him? Like sprouts and cabbage. <laughs> I've got this image now of a Stefan lurking with a virtual drum kit in a virtual shed, <laughs> fed entirely on a, a diet of virtual sprouts. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it makes for a nice atmosphere. Yeah, it isn't a you know the virtual the, the gas isn't virtual though you know that that ah, isn't virtual. Ah. The one thing that's real about him is the gas. <laughs> yeah. It's been said before and we'll say it again. Stefan, Stefan, feel free to jump in and defend yourself there. Oh, well, he, he, he was right. He was right. <laughs> Should I say? Stefan, how did you make this work? You, you joined a band that's on a different landmass to what you're living on. How do you... How do you... It's hard at times you know um getting getting all this un- under one hat but yeah. when it does um it's pretty cool as well you know um we're not we're not um effectively looking for live gigs or anything as dean said um we become invited and um choose the best mm. yeah. invitations and then check if it if it fits my holiday schedule and and things like that um yeah then we plan to meet together what about the uh, songwriting how does that start is it all you know story idea lyrics then you start working out how it'll sound take a fish you take a dead fish put take it a dead fish 
put it on top of a of, a, of an open flame, mm-hmm. um, open the mouth of the fish, um, mm-hmm. and put your ear on it. And once the flame is blue, you can hear a new song. That makes that explains a lot of how that sounds, actually. Yep. Yeah, and then so that's interesting. Do you, do you try different species of fish? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's interesting because as soon as I heard um, Clockwork Fable, I thought had it. Am I right? Very interesting. Uh, mm, it was a bit more more trout, less bass, but more trout, I think. Yeah, okay. um, it's very very difficult to DS a haddock. I would say, you know, we learned that the hard way with Forest Affair. You know, you know, we, we we've tried that. We won't go back down that road. No, again. if you're going to record haddock, you need high end mics and a really good yeah. sounding room. Yeah, you know, the room, we just don't have the room treatment for Haddock. I mean, one day yeah. we could only dream, you know what I mean? You know, sky's the limit. But, yeah, for now, we've, we're set with trout for now, thanks very much. No, I get that. You know, you've got trout, you've got Haddock. But if you're going to do Haddock, you really, you know, it's high-end mics. It's Abbey Road. Haddock is Abbey Road, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, we tried, we did try the, the like, the fish plugins. you know. You know, we tried the Sardine VST 2.0 didn't quite work you can tell the difference i think you know you can't you can't can't emulate that really you know it's one of those things you know but give it a few years and you'll be able to get you know all your fish tones in one box yeah i mean yeah stomp fish box is every every um giga musician's dream but for now it's just a pipe dream it's like you know fish emulation and hoverboards that's the future you know which will happen first hopefully both we need both (laughs) Hovering fish boards. Hovering fish boards, yeah. So you hear the fish, you listen to the fish, that's where the song idea starts. Yeah, so if we're going to come... Yeah, so I'm usually the one listening to the fish. And sometimes the fish will give me a little sneaky bit of a lyric, and sometimes the fish will impart upon me some kind of guitar riff, and then it will just sort of end up building from there. Usually, once I've spoken to the fish, I don't like to hang around. It's the song will write itself. I don't like having little scraps of bits and bobs around and you know trying to piece them together and, and make a sort of you know jigsaw and build the song up over months. Usually, once we've got the riff or once we've got the lyric, the song will pretty much, even if it you know even usually in quite a rough demo form, will be done by the end of the week, which is quite handy because we can sort of build it from there. Usually, things get polished up from demos. It's very rare for us to demo something and then start it again. Um, yeah. So that's usually quite a quite a, the way we usually work it. It's where, where the whole name uh, Malaki came from. Um, it was um, mispronouncing at first. It, it was it was Gandalf's fish at first, and uh, someone mistyped it on the first album cover. And, uh, oh, and and then you're stuck with it, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yes. Can't change your name. You if know. it's been printed, yeah, you're stuck with it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you ever worry that people will think you're taking this too seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think um, the the good thing about my my main concern with a lot of prog is is actually is too serious. And we've had, I think I've I've sort of, um, you know, I've been a fly on the wall on some message boards and sort of discussions that have happened and I haven't participated in them on, online but there's sort of, you know, we're not taking prog seriously, you know you, you know, prog is for serious you know, musicians you know, well, 
they're not the sort of prog that I listen to. If anybody, if I thought like for one second that like um, Ian Anderson prancing around in a cod piece was supposed to be a serious thing, yeah. you know what I mean? So we quite happily embrace the silliness. Um, um, but you know, we do sort of approach it in a, a serious way. You know, we're not sort of taking a piss. We're not like a pastiche band. So you know, we're not like the sort of frog version of Steel Panther or the Darkness or whatever. That definitely ain't where we're coming from. In fact, we probably take things more serious than a lot of serious bands who are just sort of, you know, coasting along and, you know, doing the sort of serious, moody musician thing. So, yeah, I mean, the main thing is for us is, is we have fun with it. And that sort of comes across, I think, in, in the naming the stuff, the, you know, ridiculous concepts. And I think as soon as it stops being fun um, is when we stop doing Gandalf's Fist. So you just said you're not mm. a sort of pastiche comedy band, uh, you're not the darkness, but you're definitely, I mean, you're happy to say, you know, about a gig, are you ready for a fisting? Which implies you're also not deeply serious about it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I hope that's not an offensive thing to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think the thing is, is, is that like, especially live, um, you're having a good time, then the audience has a good time. That's generally like the best sort of rule of thumb. So there's a lot of silly dialogue and a lot of um, sort of like, you know, surrealist sort of like exchanges in the like narrative parts of Clockwork Fable and you know we wrote them on purpose because we're like big fans of like Vic and Bob and stuff like that and yeah. we want the characters to sort of represent that's that part of British humour and the sort of British characters because we sort of that's what we're sort of into um, but there isn't any silly songs you know in in a triple album um, you know with um, you know all of the musical parts and all of the lyrics there isn't a single like lyric that's silly or even remotely comical and you know and a lot of them do touch I think on quite sort of important themes of like you know loss and betrayal and things like that so I think it's a good mix I think that sort of um, sums it up that whole album is sort of like a microcosm for Gandalf's Fist really we we are quite silly people but we write quite you know normal-ish sort of songs I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is um, is your music personal? I think if it, I don't think you can. I, I, don't, I couldn't imagine making music that wasn't in some way personal, because I, I don't know how you would be able to how I would be able to connect with it. And if I don't know how I'll be able to connect with it, I don't know how you then expect other people's to. So yeah, if, if we've, we're looking at like your. Know, songs about clockwork worlds and you know all that kind of stuff you know the lyrical inspiration will be drawn from real life even in like a sort of fantasy setting yeah and drawn obviously lyrics are drawn from parts of my own life so yeah it is it is personal so I, in some respects if you know if there's like people dismissive of the music i mean i'm quite happy for people to be dismissive of you know our sort of approach to things if they don't think it's right but i think that our actual songs you know don't particularly need to be held under that sort of the the microscope of silly scrutiny <laughs> the microscope microscope of silly scrutiny that sounds like one of your song titles i have to say yeah i think yeah, that's definitely an album that. in and of itself <laughs> <laughs> have you had any have you had any reviews or comments where people you've wanted to sort of grab people and say you've you've, you've not understood 
You don't get yeah. it. I think it's when you hear comments when people say, oh, um, you know, I've been put off listening to them because they've got a silly name. Yeah. And and that winds me up because I, it's very difficult to think of a band that doesn't have a silly name. You know, it is difficult, especially in like prog and things like that. You know, the same people that would be dismissive of like Gandalf's Fist would, you know, be listening to Spock's Beard, which is almost <laughs> the exact same name. The is, you know, that is like this. Yeah, you know, and, you know, Porcupine Tree, you know, and yeah. the silliest of them all are the ones that actually try and take themselves, you know, seriously and end up, you know, like dream theatre, you know, a theatre of dreams. Because the name's been around for so long, it's like there's been a desensitisation to it. Um, same with, like, Spock's Beard. If, you, if you're familiar with the music and have been around for that long, you discuss them enough, is that the sort of silliness of, you know, referring to, like, um, Led and Nemo's face pubes as a band... They sort of worn off a little bit, you know what I mean? And sort of that, I don't, we don't have, you know, the exposure and the sort of, you know, that sort of thing for it to, to sort of disappear in such a way. But I think it has to a certain extent with people who don't listen to the music. But it, I think it is very difficult to think of like a band that, that doesn't have a silly name or at least is then silly when you take it seriously. Stick to the car! Where are you? I'm 
never done a song written up this way before, and I'm not sure, I don't know if we'll ever do it again. But Stefan basically wrote a whole, you know, drum track um, that didn't have any sort of, you know, music to it whatsoever or any ideas. <laughs> it just, it was literally seven minutes of drums. I love that. I love that. You just said you wrote a drum track that didn't have any music to it. There's a value judgment there. They had some booms and crashes and a few, like, you know, splash <laughs> things. But it didn't have any melody, or, or nor was there any sort of melody ideas. And I think um, what basically Stefan's idea was, this can be the sort of instrumental on the album. Yeah. And sort of, it was, what what time signature is it in, Stefan? Ooh, it's 7-4 uh, and uh, what's the other one? I don't know. Yeah, 39. there's a couple of changes. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> but basically, once we sort of we did ended up it did end up being a full song and once we sort of built it up and you know figured out a baseline that would run run through it and then you know what the chords would go on top of it and then there was lyrics that did end up going on top of it so it did become a fully fledged song but because we knew we were sort of working in this sort of you know underground sort of lots of you know cogs flying around and pistons and things like that is that what Stefan then did was in the sort of stereo field sort of create these sort of polyrhythms that were played on, you know, scraps of metal that is like really subtle. So it sounds like, you know, it's it's sort of quite meta really and it's sort of the kind of thing that you wouldn't know unless we told you, which we are. <laughs> it's um it's so uh, like it's almost like the drum beat is driving these separate little you know, side beats, these polyrhythms have been driven by the main drum beat and then they in turn, each polyrhythm is played on a different sort of metal object like a tin bath or something like that. So it's the sort of, even if it's subconsciously, give this idea that the, the rhythms are driving each other in the same way that, um, you know, a, a series of gears would. So this is the sort of stuff that we quite enjoy doing and playing around with and it's so subtle in the final mix that you know, you would just sort of assume it's just sort of like background texture, but it, they are like genuine rhythms that sort of been driven by the main drum beat. And Stefan showed me the pictures and he's assured me that this the schematics make sense. So um, we'll, we'll trust him on that one. <laughs> and Stefan, was that just all the various bits of uh, scrap that were in your shed? Uh, in the virtual yes. shed. <laughs> the virtual what, scrap in the virtual yeah, shed. A virtual toaster, a virtual hairdryer, a virtual kitchen sink. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. but, but real gas. Yes. <laughs> Just to be clear, real gas. Stefan suggested you might have some uh, uh, some live recordings. We have got some stuff like that. We'll have a look through. Um, yeah, so basically what we'll, we'll play something from our uh, last gig, um, which is uh, was at live at, at, at Workington, which is a stone's throw from where I was born in West Cumbria. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is this is a song from then. Insert song here. Jesus. 
tell us about that gig. That looked uh, like a lot of... Yeah, it did feel that way, to be honest. And it did feel like somewhat of a homecoming for me because the, the sort of when the sort of music and Gandalf's Fist sort of took took off in inverted commas, you know, or at least sort of gradually levitated from the ground, um, was, you know, after I moved away from that sort of area. So there's no sort of... There wasn't really any sort of... Um, you know, there isn't a hardcore following of Gandalf's Fist fans from the place Gandalf's Fist is from, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So even though it was a homecoming, it was only for us. You know, people that came to the gig travelled from far and wide, which was absolutely amazing, you know, um, considering the, you know, to travel up to West Cumbria, for me to travel up there, it's seven hours. For Stefan to travel up there, obviously, is a bit more. But for people to, you know, I'm, I'm really picky about what gigs I go to, you know. If... Mm. You know, if I'm made and I'm playing um, somewhere that isn't convenient for me to get to, you know, I'm not going to go. You know, so for people to, you know, try do that for us, you know, a small time band to travel the length of the country, you know, to see us play is absolutely unbelievable. So that was, you know, um, really quite humbling in a way. But the gig itself was great fun. You know, it was it was nice to know because the gigs we played up to then were, were festivals where you're never quite sure what the crowd is going to be. It's quite exciting to know that there's going to be people there that have never heard your stuff and you can try and win them over and you have to up your game. But it was also quite you know, nice to know that you're going out to a crowd that have exclusively decided to come and see you. There's nothing better, is it? Every now and then, you know, I don't do a lot of gigs, but when I do, and, and, and more so the last couple of years, there's been people in the audience who know the lyrics. Mm. And usually, you know, that's unusual because there's no one on stage who knows all the lyrics. And there's people who, people who know the lyrics yeah. and they're singing along, and suddenly you've got to get it right because they're mm. going to notice. <laughs> yeah, Which is I slightly know. terrifying, but it's also it's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's great, and we had a good laugh. I mean, um, we we um, sort of again we we had all the songs that we played, bar the encore, were you know serious songs that um, you know. Have serious lyrics and you know they don't have any sort of you know jingles or whatever in the middle of them or comedy sort of breakdowns or clown noises or whatever <laughs> um, but our sort of like shtick and sort of you know stage show and stuff embraced the sort of comedy and the theatrical you know and so again it sort of was a good way of showing the, the sort of two sides to the fist as it were <laughs> the two sides to the fist yeah, that's that's definitely a best of compilation brewing up there. We'll keep that one in. Sort of. uh, red sauce or brown sauce? That is a silly question, Tom. <laughs> is it? I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. Oh, sorry. Right, right, no, it does depend. It depends on the situation. You know, anybody who says they're a red sauce man, um, then they are wrong. Anyone who says there's a brown sauce man, they are wrong. All right. Everybody knows if you've got bacon on the go, that's going to be red. If you've got sausage on the go, that's got to be brown. You know, anybody who um, says otherwise is either A, criminally deranged, B, some kind of mental pervert, or C, hasn't looked in their cupboard properly. Or D, all of the above. <laughs> now, some of the stuff we've talked about has been quite lighthearted. I get the impression you're, you're really serious about the sources. I'm a bit cross, to be honest. I'm a bit cross that you brought it up. You know, things are going well. You brought up the sauce thing. Dean, Dean what, what is it that's happened to you early in your life that's made you so intent on getting sauces right? 
Well, what actually happened was, and this is actually a true story, is that Luke um, used to be a flatmate with a seven-foot-tall Irish wrestler called the Tron. Okay, now the Tron, he even went over to America to join the WWE um, sort of, I don't know what you call it, like youth squad or whatever. Yeah. And Tron was an intimidating-looking fella, but Tron had a phobia of tomato sauce. Not that he didn't like the taste of it, not that he preferred brown sauce, he had a phobia of it. And so the game used to be is that, like, how much sauce could you get on the Tron before he hurt you, you know? And, um, you know, ever since then, I've been a bit wary of discussing sauce in the open, just in case the Tron is about... I was expecting a much more serious story about um, sauce. I got the impression that maybe you'd been, you know, um, harassed as a child by a bottle of brown sauce or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, um, not just the Tron thing. That is true, by the way. I hope the Tron is listening to this. I don't think I'm friends with him on the social media anyway, or even if he is mediaing socially. All right, what's next for the fist? Yeah, I mean, what we after the um, logistics of putting together a sort of theatre-ish show, we decided, um, and at the same time, um, I, me and Stefan were working on remixing and revisiting one of our older albums, yeah. which ended up being... Apart from obviously putting together the Clockwork Fable, remixing and redoing a special edition of Universal Wanderer was took more time than any of the other albums we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. It took long. It was more contrived and took longer than doing Forest Affair from scratch, including songwriting, recording, mixing, mastering, and you know marketing. I think Universal Wanderer, which maybe you know on first listen just sounds like you know a bit of a quick sort of, you know, polish or whatever, really did take ages. So what we decided was, after after that, we'd have a bit of a break. So that's what we're currently doing. We're having a bit of a break, not a sort of hiatus or anything, but we literally just recharging our batteries because the thing we got cooking is sort of intended to make um, Clockwork Fable look like, you know, a mini EP. <laughs> So we need all our energy for that because um, even at this stage in sort of pre-production, it's just growing exponentially into something that's both exciting but going to be quite daunting. But I think we can do it. Is that bigger in terms of length, in terms of concept? I mean, are we going to get a sort of a, um, a, a seven CD uh, album? No, that we're building up to? not in terms of like really length, although it could could easily be longer, but you know, that's not what we're aiming for. We're not trying to break any world records. But I think it just in terms of, like, scope, even though Clockwork Fable is sort of epic in length and sort of quite epic in its sort of ambition, um, the actual story, its focus, is, like, with quite a narrow lens on quite, um, you know, a small nucleus of characters. And that, you know, that was quite easy sort of to pull off that kind of narrative because, you know, it, it's quite linear. Um, but what we're looking at is something with a bit of a wider sort of panoramic perspective this time, you know, a bit of a wider world, a bit, you know, more characters to sort of explore, but still with something that's got quite a compelling story. So, yeah, I think in terms of, you know, focus, I think it's going to be a bit bigger. Before we um, round up, just really quickly, as a bad elephant music artist, I get a lot of um, threatening emails from David Elephant. Um, of course violent emails as a bad elephant minion who just helps out behind the scenes Stefan do you get the same abuse from David 
Oh, he, he tests his uh, abusive mails on us before he sends it out to the artists. Oh, so you're slightly responsible? Um, a bit. We correct things a bit, and uh, he then works with a revised version and sends it out to you guys. So are you basically saying, Stefan, that you are the angry elephant focus group? Yes. Okay, so I'm just I'm just um, checking my email on my phone. One of the emails I got last night uh, included a phrase about inserting a red hot poker into your bastard a hole. Is that a phrase that you were you were responsible for? Well, I, well not not responsible. Um, <laughs> but but I, but I know that line. Yes. Yes, it was much harder before, but but uh, we saved that for the next mail, you know. I mean, you've got stuff about inserting a, um, a red hot poker into me, but you've censored it to a hole. Why censor? Uh, why censor that particular word? It makes no sense. It's, uh, it's both threatening and baffling. Well, that's the German part. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 that is going to be the closing line of our podcast, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs>